When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on our show, we're tuning our radios into oxen-free. Welcome to Lore Party, the show that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. I'm Caleb. I'm Bavia. And I'm Digi. And today we're talking about oxen-free. So, oxen-free is a... It's a, like, regardless of whether you call it a horror game or not, it's it's creepy, it's atmospheric, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's scary the same way Stranger Things is scary. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a really good comparison, because you have those sort of, like, teens in the supernatural setting, you have this limited technology vibe, it's very retro. I mean, there's a reason all the best, you know, horror horror movies like Night in the Woods and, like, Chex- and, like Texas Chainsaw, like, all those happened within those environments, right? To me, the thing that it does really well as an adventure game is it manages the storytelling aspects of itself really well. Um, it, it makes the conversation move at the pace of the story so that conversations don't feel like they're a pause in the game. It feels like they're a thing that happens while you're moving. And I think that's I think that's what Oxenfree does particularly well, is the way it paces itself. One of the few things I disliked about the game that I occasionally found frustrating was its slow walking speed, but that slow walking speed really does enable so much of the rest of the game as far as its conversations. And so it it makes it a game that's very intentional about when different parts of the story happen. There's even moments when um, time is just straight up skipped And just as a result, it makes it so things that you would think might take a while happen fairly quickly or things that you think might happen quickly take a while. And it's very intentional management of pacing. And I want to know, like, how kind of you guys, like, experience that. Like, how did how did that pace affect, like, your guys's opinion of things? Yeah. So, like, I tend to play games in a sort of, uh, I guess you could say a depth first traversal kind of way. Um, I always try to get, like, all of the content I can before moving on. Like, I'll always do all of the side quests before I do the next story quest. A completionist, if you will. Yes. And it's led me to not completing many games. Um, (laughs) but, like, early on you get a choice to go to two different locations. I chose to go to the military base to help Clarissa because she seemed less capable than, than Ren. Um... (laughs) And, like, while I was there, I would go into a new zone, conversation would start, and I just kind of sat at the start to hear everything, because I didn't want anything to be interrupted. But there was a lot of dead time there. By the time I went to go find Ren in the forest, I just walked, and it usually synced up perfectly that the conversation ended when I got to the other side of the screen. And then from there, I'd realize, like, oh, this is what they were going for with this game. You can definitely really sense the amount of care that developers put into making sure that all the conversations on average do end by the time, you know, you get to that next transition screen to minimize the amount of dead space as possible. For me personally, I've played through the game in its entirety now nine times, including New Game Plus, which is, I mean, I've, I've never played a game nine times except for Oxenfree, so I'm so excited to be on this episode, I'll tell you that. And I... 
I discover new things every single time I play. In terms of pacing, I think that the game's management of pace allowed us to, in many ways, hear a lot of the things that we wouldn't get to hear from other games of a similar caliber. And I don't get attached to characters too often, but I really did feel for Alex throughout this entire throughout this entire story. And honestly, it made it a lot more personal because that version of Alex is our own. And it really does extend that to when she goes and talks to herself in the mirror. And when you play the game, there's a username of another person who's played the game before, further reifying that narrative that, yes, this Alex is mine. These characters are mine because of the, deci- because of the decisions I had made. And I think it is really pacing that builds that and really reifies those themes. I definitely appreciate whenever a game like takes the profile name of your PC to speak to you directly and doesn't tell you it's going to do that. Like whenever you see a thing in the mirror, I didn't know the username because I had a couple that were basically like gibberish names. So I assumed it was just gibberish, but I, I clicked on the things. I don't know if you're supposed to actually click on the things that the mirrors say, but the ones I clicked on were the ones that I was told. And then I said those same ones at the end, and I only found out afterwards that those are messages that other players get to send other people, like it records the things that you send. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I think on on that same note that, hey, this is my version of Alex. Hey, these are these other people's versions of Alex. Fun fact, if you play the New Game Plus mode, you will see your own username speaking back to you. So I think that also really pushes those themes the game has us feel a sense of loss for its characters because when you realize at the end of New Game Plus that there always will be your initial playthrough, that initial Alex lost and trapped within the island and to interact with the now, uh, I, I, I guess, dimensionally exiled residents of the Kanaloa, that, wow, you'll never be able to really interact with that Alex ever again beyond just trying to suggest to her what to do and what not to do, which in many ways has that same mirror effect coming back at us. It makes a lot of the game just feel like very, very subversive, very like things that have happened before. Like it plays with the fourth wall and it plays with um, continuity in interesting ways, but it also kind of maintains like this kind of like, disconnect from even its own reality in a lot of interesting ways so it kind of almost has this dreamlike aspect because just like the playthroughs are kind of, just like the playthroughs kind of flow into each other the game kind of flows into itself where um characters will die or disappear and then they'll just reappear alive 5 minutes later like different characters do and don't remember the same conversations that happen at different points in different timelines. Right. Sometimes, sometimes they half remember sometimes movement is affected where like you get trapped in a location for a while. And so it's difficult to maintain a full understanding of the continuity of who's remembering what. And like, you know, what does, what does Alex remember from previous playthroughs? What does, what does Jonas remember from the time jump you just got out of? Like, it it makes a lot of the game kind of, I don't know if the word is contradict itself, but it 
makes the game kind of overwrite itself in interesting ways. So I guess, um, speaking for yourselves, did you feel like, um, that kind of kept you guessing and kept you on the edge of your seat? Or do you feel like that kind of lowered the stakes for you and made it like not as, uh, um, direct of an experience? Like who, who cares if a friend died? He'd be back five minutes later. Like, so like, like I said, the first, uh, my first, um, person that I went to, I went to the base to grab Clarissa. And then after you first find her and you have your little scene and then there's like the time jump and then you go back into the room and then she's like hanging from the light. And I'm like, son of a bitch, they doki dokied me. Uh, and then like everything, like it flashes again. And then she's like at the windowsill and then jumps out and I'm like, oh, oh shit. Like, and then everything like goes back to normal and she jumps and I'm like, oh, this one is like the real one this time. And then she's gone. I'm like, okay. All right, so the ghosts aren't fucking around. Now, for me, I was actually a Ren first guy. In every single one of my playthroughs, I always ask myself, you know, what happens if I go Corsa first or what happens if I go Ren first? And I've always found the Ren first uh, be a bit more satisfying. I mean, like the dudes, the dudes tripping on drugs, right? He took a he took a magic trip to Cupcake Town. His words, not mine. And well, he's gonna need help if he's freaking out and trying to come down from that. Um, part of me wants to say that keeping us guessing, which it did, right? Because much like the characters, we as players were also guessing. Oh, what is the sunken? Are they aliens? Are they ghosts? Are they demons? Are they? some other thing that we don't know about by keeping us guessing we're being further engaged with the story and only being fed the story through one person's perspective right we don't we don't know what what ren's seeing when he gets possessed we don't know what clarissa is seeing when she's literally pushed off the edge of a two-story building swan diving into an empty pool sort of dead but we do see what Alex is feeling and we and is that perspective that you need to ask yourself okay well do I do I know the whole story or not are people really going to come back and because she's the only one who can speak with the ghosts or whatever they are what does that mean in terms of narrative so I so for me I think that you know trying to juggle around these conversations and who had what conversation and if people are dead or not it kept people Th that was their way of mounting tension, and that was their way of really keeping us invested in the thrill of the hunt of what really is going on and the underlying narrative that the story gives. Yeah, because like throughout the game, you see a couple of times um, whenever Alex gets possessed, then she has some sort of like vision of something that is like prophetic or whatever, mm -hmm. and you just wonder what like everybody else saw in there. Because I think it's Jonas, um, or actually it might be whoever you take from the tower with you. It's whoever um, you take from the tower with you who mentions like the, like the shuffling, right? I know you were just kind of standing there in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something I, something I really like is that each, uh, is that, is that each character has sort of a different response to what happens when they're possessed because like Jonas, he tends to very much like stay in place and the, and the uh, spirits for lack of a better term, choose to speak through him. Whereas with Clarissa, they tend to, play these games and do these testing things and then here over with ren it's very much like oh we're going to try to 
we're going to try to speak through him and do a lot of these things at once. But maybe because Ren's drug trip mind isn't able to do those things, they didn't really <laughs> get anywhere with him, which I thought was interesting. Interesting. That's a perspective that I hadn't thought. And I also really and I also really hadn't thought of this idea of what would the story have been like from other people's perspectives? What did Clarissa or Jonas see during moments when when Alex was blacking out and uh, um, having a flashback to Michael and so on and so forth? Like that's stuff that I hadn't even thought of. And we're aware that these same sort of callback to memories happens with other people, right? Because Jonas has these this song that's terrorizing him that, oh, you know, my mom used to play this song. I need to know what this is all about up in the ending sequence of the of the in game. The bunker. Yeah, and he mentions that he hears it like all the time over and over, but at that point in the game, I believe you've only heard it like twice. Right. Before then. So it's just like, he's probably been hearing that during his like flashes of like past or whatever. Commander, I apologize for the interruption. You have an important incoming transmission. Lower party hosts Abu Zafar and Leah Wiggins would like to let you know that they're jumping through the Omega 4 relay and returning to the world of Mass Effect. They're hoping you'll join them on the Normandy and be a part of the crew. Just look for the Mass Effect episodes in the main lore party feed. End of transmission. Returning you to your episode. You don't tend to see that perspective a lot of characters who are just like, I want to understand this problem, being punished for it severely, at least not in a way that doesn't wind up being like, oh, you need to suffer to learn this stuff. Like, the game sort of gives the message that Everything would have been better for everyone involved if everybody just left everything well enough alone. And, like, you can see that in the Michael ending, uh, where you can bring Michael back from the dead, but in order to do that, you need to convince him not to go out of state for college, because then he doesn't go on that trip where he drowns. And, like, just coming as somebody who, you know graduated with honors from high school without ever having to try because I came from a town that had like a hundred people total in my graduating class. Like being a big fish in a small pond is not something to really strive for. Like I got to college and got my ass beat and I'm just like, oh, I've got to fucking learn how to actually work hard and do stuff. I can't coast here. And Michael, I think, is the same way from the way he talks. Like, he doesn't like that the college in their town is just, like, almost everyone teaching there graduated there. And it's this really insular, like, oravarous of these people who get trapped in this town and train people or, like, teach kids so that they don't leave the town. And no one ever leaves and no one comes in. And he was going to get away from that. And he was going to go somewhere else and, like, try to make something more. Because he, he clearly wants more, and he feels like he just isn't going to get it in the in their town. But in order to save his life, you have to basically clip his wings and keep him from living up to his full potential. You know, I can't help but think that even with the good ending, or even with whichever ending you consider canon, I mean... The correct answer to that is all of them, right? 
because of all of the different dimensions and all the different choices and this whole narrative that whatever you do, you'll still be playing the same game over and over again. And no matter what, you know for a fact that one thing stays constant and that's you're going to be reset, right? So even when you say, hey, there's a message that, oh, we shouldn't be maybe inhibiting Michael or, oh, we should be inhibiting Michael or however you want to think about the game, do those choices matter? I think it touches a lot on the same aspect because we talked about how other games touch this theme and it goes a lot to that where the the many worlds it's not even the many worlds interpretation of reality pretty much it's the it's yeah, the basically. many worlds interpret it's the many worlds interpretation of games of game storytelling but i think the difference is, is that while a lot of games that sort of explore this tend to focus on the one where everything works oxenfree focuses on the infinite rest of them that don't like in undertale you eventually beat Sans. You know, in uh, Doki Doki, you eventually... Delete like, Monica, yeah. S- yeah, delete Monica and set <laughs> everything right. But, uh, like, in Oxenfree, it really does kind of nail home, like, that most of the time, that's not what happens. Even on the one, like, the 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 best ending that you can get still heavily implies that it's just, like, and Alex gets out of this loop. One. Mm, right. And like an infinite number of other ones are still cycling through this forever. It, it doesn't, it does not let you have your happy ending. <laughs> hey, it's Abu, executive producer of Lore Party. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, maybe take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.